episode 147 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Linger, joined by Brad Ford, Paul Noonan, and Ryan Top today for our big season preview episode. The season's finally almost, I guess, maybe here, unless you're the Washington Nationals and don't have a home yet. So, Or the Blue Jays. Or the Blue Jays or anybody else. So I guess, how, how are we feeling about the odds of a season still going as we record <laughs> this, guys? I mean, they're going to start a season. <laughs> they're definitely starting one. That's going to happen. We'll, we'll see week. how far we get. Yeah. You told us to pick some World Series winners. I don't know if we're going to get that far, but uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I feel like the Canada logistics are probably a bigger deal than people are realizing so far. Because aside from it just being tricky logistically, there's a bunch of guys who might not want to spend the next X months in the United States who have their homes in Canada and their families in Canada and, you know, don't want to get trapped here frankly <laughs> right yeah so there's there's still maybe a lot of logistical hurdles to get over in the next week before we start bl- playing games uh but we're gonna preview the season anyway and and hope it actually goes through uh but first we're always sponsored by carbon four brewing you know they're great beers like the flagship fantasy factory ipa the next time you're in madison stop by their brewery on kinsman boulevard on the east side you can also get a 20 percent discount on some carbon four merch online just by listening to this podcast Go to Carbon4.com, pick out a shirt, sweatshirt, hat, anything, and use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon4 Beer Brilliance. You can also support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods throughout the Packers offseason. Sounds like there's actually going to be training camp this year, but we'll see how uh, that goes. And Paul can... (laughs) Pivot to turkey, talking uh, labor strife in the NFL. Yeah, uh, their plan so far is hope, and you know, hope is not a plan. So that's uh, work out for baseball. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. In the meantime, it's the episode baseball episode we've been talking about, waiting to do for about four months or so now. We're finally doing our deep dive into the 2020 Brewers and the Major League Baseball season. Things obviously looking a lot different than we thought they would when we started thinking about doing this back in mid March. Uh, as a reminder, the team's going to start the year with a 30-man roster, another 30 guys on standby in Appleton. Uh, and it looks like they might have to pull from that group early. As any year, there's some injury concerns, or at least this year, COVID concerns going into the year. So it doesn't look like the Brewers may be full strength heading into that 60-game schedule. Uh, both of the guys that the Brewers acquired from San Diego in the offseason, Luis Urias and Eric Lauer, have had COVID concerns throughout summer camp. Still status kind of up in the air at this point. Urias, to this point, as we record this, he still hasn't passed the protocol, right? He's he's not getting the back-to-back negatives that he needs. He says he feels fine, but obviously still can't play. So that would put some damper on the Brewers lineup. Eric Lauer, meanwhile, he's supposed to throw an inning today in the scrimmage as we record this on Sunday, but obviously still behind schedule. And his issue was just exposure, right? So he was just exposed. He wasn't ever tested positive. So it's a little different, uh, but he's kind of been held off in quarantine and kind of put behind schedule there. So that kind of throws a wrench into the rotation plans as well. And in the last week or so, we've started to see some, I guess, maybe not concern, but some things popping up with Keston here I, arm I again think concern is legit i think we can say concern? concern yes we can James be concerned that filled me unconcerned yeah the brewer the brewers are publicly saying ah don't worry about it uh <laughs> but it's the same issue that you know we've been talking about and worried about since he was drafted right it's part of the reason why he's a brewer right is the fear that he would need tommy john surgery on his elbow at some point 
Uh, it's just sore at this right now as we record this. Something to, to, to watch because he's had to miss the last couple of scrimmages. And if he can't play, at least they've got the DH now. But yeah, I believe he's DHing today already. So, but. okay, that's good. But, you know, it, it's obviously something that puts a hamper on his value, too, and something that we've been watching for two or three years now, uh, whether or not he's going to have to get that elbow taken care of. On top of that, imagine this. Brett Anderson is hurt. Well, kind of hurt. He's got blisters he's dealing with. He can't, <laughs> you can't control that. But, you know, durability has always been the issue with him. He's dealing with a blister. He was on track to, I believe, be the Brewer's second starter in Chicago. That's up in the air now uh, because of the blister situation. Uh, but something else to keep a mind on as we, uh, let's just start with the rotation then. Talking about Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer. Brandon Woodruff is going to be our opening day starter. No surprise there, even though, you know, the Brewers may have tried to play coy, but there's really no other option, right? Well, did you hear yeah. the, the yeah. quote from Council was, he's been our opening day starter since last October? Yeah. <laughs> yep. But he has come on and looked middle of the season ready already in these scrimmages. Everything he's done has just looked so crisp and perfect. He's embarrassing hitters who are admittedly rusty from not facing yeah. major league caliber pitching in some time but there's just pitches that he's throwing past them and every time like Kristen Yelch would get up and be mic'd up he'd watch a pitch and be like damn good pitch oh Jamie good pitch (laughs) you know if you're just confounding one of the best hitters in the National League to that point where he's just expressing constant uh, angst over what you're throwing him you know that you're ready to face the rest of the teams in the NL and AL uh, in MLB. So he he's looked really sharp and it's been he, you're he's just ready to be that guy that we've seen progressing over the last few years right now. Yep. No surprise there. He's he's the team's ace. He's clearly their best starting pitcher and uh the, the council's right. I mean, we have, we all assumed that he would be the starter um during prop bets last week. We were right. That's why we were right. He's awesome. <laughs> but opening day curse be damned, right? Anybody else in a in a, a group? Not real. <laughs> Anybody else in a group chat where somebody freaked out about it? curse so that it, it just self explains why it's not real, really a thing. The curse of Raphael Roque. <laughs> I but, mean, Woodruff, yeah, Woodruff is the uh, seventh opening day starter the Brewers have had in seven years. I think that's. I think I saw somebody tweet out that's the second longest streak in the majors, which maybe says more about the Brewers' pitching acquisitions than anything. But yeah. <laughs> Right. I think it's if you look down over who's been the opening day starter over the last few years, it's self-explanatory what the curse actually is. And the curse is talent. So, well, I mean, Jimmy Nelson probably would have been the opening day starter for a solid run there for a little while. Had he not, you know, slid back on the wrong shoulder in Chicago, like, you know, there's a flukish element. There is that. But also, I mean, you're looking at Kyle Loesch and Yolis Chassin and those guys. It's a slew of three, four, five starters here. Anderson was one the year before Chassin, right? In 2018? He was, yep. Yep. Yeah. And that that was another one that seemed kind of obvious at the time. If it wasn't going to be Nelson that year, it was going to be Anderson because they both were coming off really solid seasons. Just didn't work out for Chase that year. So we're hoping for better luck with Woodruff. (laughs) Yeah, and Woodruff is the first one since Gallardo who probably has the talent to justify being the head of the rotation. Right. right? Like like, Julius Chassin is a fine pitcher, but you know, he's okay. And Chase Anderson, he's okay. 
like Woodruff, Woodruff's good. This is the first time we've had a good guy <laughs> in a long, since, long time. Since Gallardo. Yeah. And yeah. Gallardo is the last one to make back to base, back to back starts. He actually did it, I think, four or five years in a row. So, uh, and before Yo, there was another long stretch of randomness before that. So, you know, I guess as Brewers fans, we're kind of used to the random opening to starter. And it's largely symbolic anyway. It doesn't really mean anything. But I think we can all agree that Brandon Woodruff is the best pitcher on the team and no surprise that he's the opening day starter instead uh, should go with opener should sure sacrificial lamb sacrificial lamb <laughs> brad and i were uh pushing brett anderson to be the sacrificial lamb but then he I got mean, hurt I... before that even happened anyway so why else would you sign him <laughs> yeah <laughs> well speaking of brett anderson uh, he's one of a couple of new additions to the rotation this year along with josh lindblom so i guess do we feel that these guys represent an upgrade. Does it provide more depth than we saw last year with the rotation? I guess Brad go first. No, (laughs) (laughs) I I think what you're looking at in terms of expected upgrade in the rotation is you're actually dealing with more of expected increase in talent. Like they were hoping for last year when they started with the rotation, they were expecting for jumps from Burns and Peralta. You didn't really get that. Uh, But then Hauser stepped in and ended up being a staple of the rotation in the second half of the season. So I think you're looking for Brandon Woodruff to continue to be dominant. You're looking for Adrian Hauser to make more progress in the rotation, which I think is very just or like a justified expectation. Corbin Burns has looked good so far. He gives up a bomb, which, of course, shitters down every Brewer fan's spine. But his fastball (laughs) actually moves now, which is exciting. Because that was a huge concern before is uh, flat pitches and attacking the same spot. You know, if I throw this nut high fastball and a nut high slider, it'll never know where it's going. I was using his pitch trajectories to hang pictures in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Not good. So he hopefully with a little bit of movement that improves. And then that's where you actually get the significant upgrade in the rotation. Lindblom is interesting. I don't know if he's much of an upgrade or as much of a linear replacement for some of the back end talent that was in the rotation last year. And Brett Anderson is that staple of the rotation where you just hope he gets through four or five clean innings. Then he can move on to the bullpen, which the brewers have had for a few seasons now. So I don't think it's necessarily that the new additions are upgrading so much as just stabilizing talent that was lost for cheaper and uh, more efficiently. I'd, I'd agree with most of that. I think, um, I think they will be better because of the failures of Burns and to a lesser extent Peralta last year and the emergence of Hauser too. Like their plans, they worked out okay last year just because they're so good at mixing and matching and, and going to their depth when they need to. But I do think that there's just, with another year of experience, uh, greater odds that one of those two will possibly break out. I'm not going to buy Burns completely until I see him against actual major league hitters. And with some numbers behind his his movement and see if it's actually real, or just me being optimistic. But uh, it looks promising. That's good. So I, I do think that they will, they'll have some benefit just from development, just from um, having guys around, having to work with them for a little bit, having Hauser. Um, so... I think they'll have they'll be better in the starting rotation. I really like their pitching rotation this year and their pitching depth overall. So I'm I'm optimistic that they will be good at this. Yeah, it it is going to be again a situation where we are seeing less definition between who starts and who follows than ever before in MLB. Like this is right. We're we're headed down a path though. As Brewers fans, we've already seen a progression down this direction. We're just going to see it go further. And it'll be interesting to see. They will need to get at some point 
innings out of starters, but they won't have to get that early because they will have, we're thinking possibly as many as 17 pitchers to start the season. So they can really lean on depth early on and not have to have starters go. But once you're down to a 26 man roster and we're going to have to see, I was talking to uh, Steve about this the other day. It's going to be interesting to see how willing teams are, especially the Brewers, because they have been so all about the the shuttle between AAA and the majors. Is that going to continue in this COVID era? Are, are they going to be as willing to just shuffle in and shuffle out guys from AAA? And, and how does that even work with, like, say, going on the road? Because in the past, if you needed your guy to you say you're on a road trip and you need a guy to join your team, they would jump on a commercial flight and go there. Well, are they going to do that now? Or is it really more going to be, uh, are we going to see guys who are maybe not on the 30-man roster or on the 28 or on the 26 traveling with the team as auxiliary pieces to be subbed in at some point? Like, are they going to carry an extra couple pitchers, not on their roster, but in their traveling party so that they can swap them out when they need to do that? Or are we going to see a more static roster than what has been? And I don't even know if they know for sure. They they probably aren't 100% sure of that either. But it could be a situation where we're looking at a more static roster than we've seen in recent years with the Brewers, who really love to run that shuffle. So a lot of unknowns and just how logistically they're going to handle this. I do think it's going to be more static this year because you have the removal, the rule of the mandatory 13-13. So you can just inherently carry more pitchers for a longer period of time than we have in the past. So I think that's going to help, especially during the 38 and 28 man roster period of the season, determine who's going to be more reliable. And a lot of the shuffling, I think, before was started with an injury and then kind of rotated around talent because it already decreased an injury. I think you just have so much less of a pool and also we'll get into better talent because of healthier personnel that it's going to be less of a concern than it has been in the past where it's not going to have to be as significant a piece of the puzzle as it has been previously for Milwaukee. I just think they're in a position with their roster, how it's built and also the expanded roster that those things are going to work themselves out without the concern. That was the necessity to do that, to stay competitive that they had before. Yeah. I bet they'll, do a bit of a hybrid i do think they'll do some shuffling at home if you if you just take a look at the schedule like road trips are long and home stands are long so i i, I suspect they'll they'll send people out on road trips and that'll kind of be it for road trips it, it, it just strikes me as hugely irresponsible and possibly impossible to do what they've done before when they're out on the road but that said it's also worth remembering that a lot of the road trips are very close like if you had to send a guy down to chicago for either the White Sox two-game series or any of the Cubs series. That's an easy drive. And they, they can easily play this game at home as long as everybody stays quarantined and stay, stays bubbled. I, I assume they'll be watching this carefully to assess the risk as to the, the taxi squad as much as possible. But I, I don't think they'll just sit on it. I think that they'll be... At, this franchise has shown they're willing to do kind of whatever it takes and whatever is allowed to, to make the best use of their resources. And so I doubt they'll stop just because of a few logistical hurdles. You know, if the disease becomes a more significant threat, then they'll probably clamp it down. But as long as it's under control and they have everybody uh, adhering to the rules, I still think you'll see a good amount of taxi squad shuffling um, between, between the, t- the two units to get the best people out there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and definitely kind of just 
all factors into how weird the season's going to be. <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot of that stuff where I think we just got to keep in mind that none of this is normal and <laughs> maybe <laughs> hold off on the second guessing or or just see how things play out because it's just going to be a weird year. Jumping back to the topic of the rotation, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about Josh Lindblom. Uh, he's one of those guys where we've had such a long layoff here that it's easy to forget who the Brewers brought in that wasn't on the team last year. And Lindblom's <laughs> one of those guys. And it, he just happens to be some someone that we don't really have a lot of prior working knowledge in the past to work with. But it turns out he was actually, I don't know if you guys saw the article in The Athletic, he was actually one of David Stern's top targets in the offseason last year. One of the first guys that they targeted, along with Avi Garcia. So they, they, they've clearly had their eyes on him for a while. I guess, what are your hopes for Josh Lindblom or do you have any expectations or is just kind of crossing your fingers and hope he's the Eric Thames of the pitching staff, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of it. I think that he's a flexible person in terms of what role you could put him in, though I think they do want to start him and have him be a guy that is their initial outgetter for a good period of time. His stuff wiggles more than I was expecting. Like that there was there was more wiggle there when I saw him. Cause I don't know that I ever saw him during uh spring training proper. So I think it was just one of those situations where I never caught him. And so when I saw him this week, I was like, oh, there's a little bit of movement there that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So I'm just sort of cautiously optimistic. He seems like a guy who the Korea thing really did benefit him. Did you guys catch him being interviewed? He was one of the staples on the uh, Korean KBO broadcast on ESPN. They would bring him in and, and talk to him on those. And he's... He's got a good head on his shoulders and like the, the Korea thing seems to have really benefited him. We did get a lot of uh, Patreon and Twitter questions for this preview episode. So our first one comes from Jay Google, of course. Suck Ryan. it, Steve. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Jay's asking about the rotation. He's, he's wondering, did you guys get a better feel after watching Burns and Peralta throw on what their roles are going to be this year? Yeah, I think that we're probably going to see Corbin Burns open the season in the rotation. And I think just by numbers, Freddie Peralta will be in the bullpen. He's done that, you know, with some success last year and, and is used to bouncing back and forth a little bit. Burns has been more either in the rotation or in the bullpen. Peralta has kind of been a little bit more bounced around. So I think we'll probably see that. And I, I think that it does make sense for Burns to get that first look in the rotation as opposed to Peralta. Peralta wasn't terrible when we saw him this week, but he wasn't as crisp as Burns. Burns really did look sharp. So I think that that makes sense for a starting point. But all these guys are going to see multiple inning stints. And, you know, just because Freddie Peralta isn't in the starting rotation to start the year doesn't mean he can't end up there or that he's not going to have games where he goes like four innings. If he's pitching well and the team is in a position to like take advantage of that. Yeah, we could we could see him pitch for an extended period of time too. I think what was disappointing for Peralta for me, which I made me see that he was going to be in the bullpen is I was hoping to see Mexican League Peralta come out where he came out was throwing, you know, an electric fastball and actually mixing in his other pitches and he was doing that but the pitches didn't look as sharp as they looked this winter. 
which, you know, that 98 mile per hour fastball mixed with his change up and curveball really set him apart. And it just didn't look that way. I think he knocks out the rust and still has the potential to get back to that. But with the shortened time frame where you only get about three appearances before the season starts, it's super unlikely that he can get back to the place where he needs to be in order to be a four or five inning pitcher consistently. So that's more reliable to get out of the bullpen. Burns obviously came back. His stuff looks better. Uh, we already talked about him getting hit for that home run, which all gives us just the greatest fears in the world that he's going to go for Braden Looper's home run record. And <laughs> it, it's concerning, but he's still the guy who I feel like is more ready to be in the starting rotation anyway. Plus there's going to be one spot in the rotation that's likely temporary, right? Yeah. Because you have Eric Lauer coming back. Yep. Eric Lauer is going to be slotted into the rotation. He is not a bullpen pitcher. Uh, because he, his stuff doesn't really play in that way that you need it to. It plays better in the rotation yep. in the traditional sense of it. So you're going to let these five guys play it out. And if Burns struggles, he goes back to bullpen and it's fine. But I feel like in terms of guys with the stuff that's ready to be there, I mean, Peralta has the electric stuff where you look at it and you're like, oh man, that guy's going to dazzle one day, but it's still not all the way there. And he can't pull it up consistently when he needs it. Not like Brandon Woodruff, who just comes out of a long delay and all of a sudden looks like one of the best pitchers in the league. He, he obviously, he's still very young and still needs to build up that muscle memory and that repertoire to be able to come back and recreate that. And, Right now, his stuff is just going to be more useful to the team in the bullpen. I was going to say about Freddie that like we've seen it come and go quickly for him where he'll be on even within a game where he'll have it or he'll really not have it. And then all of a sudden he'll be on and just on fire. So it probably we could be flexible about sort of the expectations with him where we could just see it. The light flick on for him at any moment. So right. 15 strikeouts, five home runs game to game. Yeah, it just that's ready. Um, and we're, we are still dealing with very small sample sizes on, you know, what we've seen so far. Like, Burns look great, but lots of guys look great for a very small amount of time. So, um, and, and Freddie, Freddie the, the problem with that is he looked like what we're used to seeing from him, where he doesn't know where it's going. He's not locating very well. He has, you know, an absolutely electric pitch, but he's still working in some subpar pitches to complement them. I still think he profiles better as a relief pitcher, ultimately, than a starter. But, you know, you always want to push guys into starting, but... We didn't see any evidence of growth from him in his limited appearance to, to suggest that he's made those steps so far. So I agree with he'll, he'll probably be bullpen for at least the start of the season. And I would guess the whole season. And, and Burns just profiles better with his repertoire. Even, you know, if he struggles, that's 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 bad. But he, he's as likely to struggle um, coming out of the pen as a starter, which we also saw some of last year as well. You'd like to see him make it as a starter, but he profiles much better there. And they really don't have that many, like, technically, like, open spots where he's healthy. Like, you mentioned Lauer really profiles better as a starter. That's true of Anderson, too. Like, I don't think anybody wants right. to see him coming out of the bullpen. <laughs> so between those two and Woodruff, you know, you're just really cycling in guys in, in two, two other spots in the traditional sense. The Brewers are not traditional, but that's all you're looking at. So a, a ton of guys will go through there as time goes on. And whatever we say now will change drastically a month from now. Yeah, I mean, there's exactly. a pretty good chance that we will see at some point kind of a middle innings trio of, say, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, and Brett Suter as, like, bridge guys to get through the middle innings, uh, especially for some of the guys, you know, the the starters who aren't going as deep, like 
presumably Lauer and Brett Anderson and Josh yeah. Lindblom, like those guys, they'll get sort of piggyback, not not a true piggyback where it's like set in stone who's going to follow who on, you know, in a given day. But those guys are going to get that run. The hope is that somebody like Adrian Hauser can break out and give you a second sort of horse starter. That would be really, really positive. It would. Yeah, it could be Hauser, could be Burns, could be somebody else too. They really liked Eric Lauer. There was there was a reason that they yeah. went for him, and it's especially over the short sample. You know, you could see something like that happen too. Yeah, I'm just glad that the that they're giving Corbin Burns, I guess, first crack, if you want to call it that, at a rotation spot. Not just because I'm president of the Corbin Burns fan club, hashtag cuckoo for Corbin, but. I think, like Paul said, he's got the repertoire to really stick and shine there. I think that's why a lot of us have been dreaming on him for a couple of years. And really, even coming into this year, if it was going to be a longer year, like this was going to be the year that they needed to see something from him to kind of decide what his role is going to be going forward, right? It's kind of getting to that make or break point. So it's unfortunate that he's working with this smaller sample size, but I guess it's a good thing he's getting the first crack at that, right? Yeah. Fastball up, curveball down, just repeat. <laughs> over yes, and over please, and over, please. <laughs> please, please, for the love of God, stop throwing your high spin rate fastball low in the zone. It oh, will so go annoying. very far. It, so it will so go very annoying. far. It's not even just that it's every pitch is that same outside corner. Every pitch. And I like, mean, dude. Ben Sheets made a living coming, on that. Like my, Ben Ben Sheets could dot that outside corner and just lived out but, there. But it wasn't it wasn't like every pitch though, you know, like this is low knee or low nut high. <laughs> Everything is right there. Slider, same place. Fastball, yep. same place. Ben Sheets, at least with the 12, six curveball, it looked like it was going where he dotted his fastball and then sunk off. Yeah. And I that's mean, what killed people. The difference was is Ben Sheets could basically put the ball when he was going well, which he did for, you know, most of 2004 to 2008 when he was healthy, like, he could dot that fastball on that outside corner just at will. Like, he just every single time was putting it right where he wanted out there, which is why yeah. he got away with being basically a two-pitch pitcher. My biggest Burns. worry with Burns is just um, that a lot of his problems seem to be, like, not listening to coaching. Like, it, he seems to be able to hit his spots. It's just that his spots are bad spots, which seems like it should be super easy to fix and always has. He just seems to ignore it or is not being told properly. Like, I feel like Peralta at least is like shown some progress and worked on some things. Even if he can't really locate his fastball, it's not even necessarily that big of a bug. It's a, it can be a feature to some extent, but Burns is frustrating because like, if you just threw to different spots, he would be so much better. <laughs> just, just do it. Right. Well, well, I think the frustrating thing with Burns is probably the most comparable in spin rate repertoire and how his stuff works is one of the most successful pitchers in the National League. And what makes him successful is he's throwing to every part of the zone that J Corbin Burns isn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, it's funny because I, I was actually listening to the 2019 preview podcast that you guys did last year, and JP brought up the thing with Corbin. Because, you know, last year the thing was Burns, Peralta, Woodruff, all in the rotation. thing JP brought up was Burns just lives inside the strike zone, and he's going to get hammered because he – either refuses to throw pitches out of the strike zone or he's, he, he can't really command it inside the zone, so he gets drilled that yes. way. Kind of the opposite problem of Freddie, where he can't seem to find the strike zone. So they're both maddening in their own ways. But I, And I honestly think they have equally high ceilings. Like, I, yeah. I think they both... If you get them working and you have a one through four 
of Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, and Hauser, you are set up to dominate for a long time, in my opinion. Because that was the thinking last year, right? Exactly. Those are four electric pitchers. But the two who have potentially the highest ceiling are the two that are confounding the team and the fans the most. Uh, and the other thing with Burns is it wasn't just that he was living inside the the zone, but that his pitches that aren't his sliders seem to be Manny Parra flat, which I guess oh. is why it's finally a little bit more promising is that we're actually seeing movement on his pitches, right. which hopefully it was the pitching lab working and the evidence that that worked because he spent a long time in the pitching lab last year. And every time he came <laughs> back, it didn't really get better. I mean, but, the thing yeah, with I, with pitchers is the light can go on very quickly for pitchers. There's yeah. always been sort of that thing. Hitters, there's usually like a development path that has to go and, and there's sort of like a, a curve. Pitchers can just like make one tweak or do one small thing, one weird trick. And all of a sudden, like they turn into a, a massive stud, make a, a mechanical tweak or a, a add a pitch, something like that. And all of a sudden it's just, you know, a different thing. We've seen that over and over and over again. The one that pops to mind is Jake Arrieta. Or if you want to go closer to home with the Brewers, Jimmy Nelson, when he had his breakout in 2017, he did a little bit of a tweak to his mechanics in going into that year. And from the minute he hit the the camp in, in 2017, you could see that, like, he had much better command than he'd ever had before. It was, he was putting the ball where he wanted on a pretty consistent basis. And from the minute he hit camp, his strikeout to walk ratio was way better than it ever had been. And there's like seven Pittsburgh pirates that we've seen, which is funny. Cause like truly when you think about it with hitters, like the time where they like just switch is so rare. Like both Batista is the only one I can really think of that comes to mind who went from just being garbage to all of a sudden being relevant. It's JD so Martinez much, would be another one, I think. J, Casey McGee, I guess, if you sure, want to go yeah. local, where he was yeah. garbage and then had three good seasons before becoming awful again. Yeah, we've seen but, a little bit more of it with hitters lately. That gets chronicled in uh, the MVP machine pretty well. That like pitch, uh, hitter development has has become a thing, but it's still much more common to see it with pitchers, where like they do one thing and all of a sudden, you know, you're it's sort of a different animal at that point. Yep. So moving on to the bullpen. Things looking, I think, in my opinion, at least, a little bit better than maybe they did at the start of the season last year. If there's a positive for this delay that we've had for the start of the season, it's that the Brewers should probably have Corey Knavel back right away from the start of the season. So they're not waiting around for a couple of months like we were kind of talking about back in March. So Corey Knavel added back to the back end of the bullpen, and that kind of leave some wiggle room to use maybe Josh Hader in the role that he's best at in the fireman capacity, I guess with Knabel back, do you guys see Craig council kind of reverting back to using him strictly in the ninth inning, kind of like he's typically done before and using Hader more flexibly, or is it a mishmash of everything? Or I guess, Paul, what do you see happening? I, I, that's my most likely scenario. I think they'll go back to Hader or Spider-Man. And, and maybe throw him a, a save bone every once in a while to keep him happy. But uh, I, I, I think Kniebel, that's kind of his, his thing when he's healthy. I, I think he, that they're all comfortable with him there. And the best thing about Kniebel being the closer is it gives them a legitimate excuse to have Hader be the fireman. It's not like, you know, you have some garbage out there saving games and using uh, it. Saves are stupid. One of the reasons is they distort the game through arbitration. 
because pitchers are legitimately mad when they don't get them because it actually costs them money. That's ridiculous, but it is what it is. So if you have someone who is as dominant as Kniebel is when he's healthy, you have you know a legitimate excuse to use a hater the way that he really should be used, which is to get out of super bad jams. So I think they'll do that. And the bullpen, I think, is set up really well. I, I think Peralta will land there. That's a great weapon to have. I like Suter as a long guy a ton. He, he, he's just a very solid player to have there. And they just have a ton of guys with either great, great stuff, great potential, or who just have like nice little niches that work really well in specific situations. It's a, it's a very well put together bullpen. A lot of flamethrowers. Um, we'll see if like Ray Black can actually turn into somebody other than someone who throws 100 mile an hour perfectly straight. But uh, it, there's there's talent up and down, and given the short season and the ability to lean on it even more heavily than normal, they should be, I, I think the most dominant team in the division in terms of what they throw out there after the starter leaves. Yeah, and I'm excited to see like Devin Williams, Bobby Wall. I know Wall yep. is a favorite of yours, James. Yeah. I I've been a, a longtime favorite of uh of Devin Williams. It was a low and slow process for him. He was a was. he was their first pick in the 2013 draft, but it was a second rounder because that was the year that they belatedly signed uh Kyle Loesch. So they mm-hmm. didn't have a first round pick. And he's gone through Tommy John surgery and really took his time. He was a high school pitcher and had to go through a lot of development. But I think you could see it with him that there is legit no shit stuff there where he could be a a monster if he can command and sort of get the the finer points of of being, you know, a a dominant reliever that way. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. And like you've you've been about the Bobby Wall thing. I'm I'm excited because there did seem to be they really thought they had a potential. There was hype stud. last spring there with him. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a good get for that Keon Broxton trade. And you mentioned Devin Williams. I kind of get some Jeremy Jeffers vibes from him in a little bit in the sense that it took forever for it to kind of come together. Obviously, different reasons, right? Uh, with Williams, it's more the injuries than uh, you know off the field stuff. But similar, I guess rocky development pass and you just kind of hope that he can kind of develop into that similar bullpen arm well and just really big stuff too for both of them like they really really that was their calling card was you know they're bringing the heat like they really have the stuff and it was kind of weird with williams too because when he was developing kind of before the tommy john surgery he had 50 50 50 average stuff across the board and then suddenly he comes back and he's hitting 99, peaking 100 at times. You're like, whoa, where'd that come from, Devin? Uh, mix that in with a changeup that's always been deadly. And he's a he's just a really exciting pitcher to mm. have out there as an option in the bullpen. I think what's also exciting, not just having your two best relievers at full strength to start the season is thrilling, right? Having Knable, having Hader is something that's going to – already makes you fall in love with the bullpen so much more because then you know Craig can just mix and match the other guys. But on top of that, the guys that he's been labeling the second chancers in Fire Ryzen and Grimm coming out and looking very strong to start the season has been a very good turn that I think is going to set the team up very well. And then you're going to have arsenals where if one of those guys go down, you have a Drew Rasmussen, who they've already kind of stated earlier today that probably won't start the team with the season, but almost definitely will be with the team at some point in the season. Right. Where those are all just devastating electric guys. And I think, again, you have the danger of like a Brent Suter. And even though he's only an 88 mile per hour 
thrower. He's such a change of pace from every other pitcher in right. that on the roster that it's hard to deal with as any hitter because you come out and all of a sudden, yeah, it's 88, so it's slower. Uh, there's a lot of movement on his stuff, and he throws every three seconds. It's hard to really right. deal with as a hitter when you're looking there. So it's I've really, really hard, yeah. I've really liked it from head to toe, just uh, especially it seems like a lot of those guys who you knew would be pieces coming back this season almost had their development peaks that you normally see in like May, where you're like, oh, in May, Fire Eisen's done really good with San Antonio. I bet he'll be a good reliever at some point in the season in July he comes up. It seems like that kind of just naturally progressed as they worked on their stuff in the offseason. We heard that, you know, Fire Eisen was given a lot to work on from the team when Ryan and I interviewed him where he was given, you know, not only strength drills, but, you know, like practice this and that to get ready and be in the place where we want you. Obviously, he followed that to a T and has come back in a place that the team's really happy with. And it's worked as a pseudo triple A for him to the point where now they view him as someone who can compete and be a valuable asset. And then there's still Alex Claudio, who exists. I mean, (laughs) and I think he's got a companion piece, potentially, especially early in the season where you've got Alex Claudio, who is if you've got an inning coming up where you've got two, you know, lefties to face, maybe it's the sixth inning and you're down a run or something. You're going to see Alex Claudio come in to face some tough lefties. I think on the other side of that, you've got Eric Yardley, who I think is going to be used if you've got a run of, you know, maybe the bottom of the order and you've got like three, four right-handed batters in a row, you're going to see Craig Council go to somebody like Yardley and say, you know, hey, just be death to righties. And, you know, we probably won't see him face too many left-handed batters of any consequence in in any meaningful way. But that doesn't, with the expanded rosters, with the larger pitching staff, he doesn't necessarily need to see those guys to still have some value to the team, at least early on in the season. I'm wondering, too, if Claudio is going to be one of those guys who, if you're happening to end the inning on a lefty, that's when you see him the most, yep. where it's really is like just like bring him out in that situation. And if he gets hit, whatever we tried and like we'll try to make the most of it and let him face his three batters. And if he doesn't get out of it, well, we thought we were playing this matchup to our strength and it ended up not working out that way. They have seemed to be okay with those gambles in the past where they're like okay we're gonna make our move here and if it doesn't work out then we lost our bet you know what i found out that annoyed me the other day was that (laughs) apparently let's say teams had two lefties in a row and you wanted claudio to start the next inning if he comes back in to start that next inning he has to face the third batter still really is yep it's it yeah it doesn't unset it's either or it's either the end of an inning or three batters yep it's either or which Man, is which Fred is dumb. Baseball. Man, <laughs> <hates> baseball. <laughs> so we talked about this a little bit a little earlier. You guys mentioned, um, you know, the possibility of like a triumvirate of middle innings eaters. Uh, I guess for a lack of a better term, the assumption is at least at the start of the year is going to be a lot of middle relief innings up for grabs. Uh, the Brewers are going to take a whole slew of pitchers out of camp, so that does leave a lot of middle innings available for people to pick up so you mentioned some of the names i guess paul do you have any favorites on who's going to step up to maybe kind of take those five six seventh innings so uh, i I have a feeling that suitor is going to pitch a ton he is sort of like the next best starter after all the starters that we named and he he's actually played quite well in the bullpen um before he He started doing it i wasn't sure his stuff was going to play as well as it has but uh one of those kind of prototypical brewer 
doesn't throw super hard but still misses bats pretty well kind of guys um and yeah. works surprisingly well in that role so he would be my my major bets to take a lot of those middle innings i think freddie will get a lot of those too um just because he is always kind of stretched out and also a good reliever so i think that they'll be the two that land the most in the middle innings uh, as the bridge to the back end guys but there's lots of guys who can do it i mean there's so many guys here who have like starter profiles as well i just think that they'll get the the primary shots in that role yeah, I think you're looking at Suter, Peralta, and Devin Williams as the three yeah. mix who are really going to hog up those multiple innings. And they're just going to be the bridge that gets you to, I mean, Williams might only be a two inning where Suter can go once through the order if he doesn't really get hit up. And Peralta, you kind of just let him go until things start getting scary, then always have someone ready to get him the heck out of there. And then you bridge that to Josh Hader and... Corey Knabel, and you just kind of let that be the recipe to success. And those are the five guys who combine in the bullpen to really get you to your W's. And then you mix in the other guys when necessary, either if you're in, uh, you know, three run deficits or, you know, four run surpluses. That's when you mix in your fire eyes and your Bobby Walls and your Ray Blacks to fill in the gaps and get those guys their days off until you need them for those really competitive, intense situations. I think we need to remember, too, that David Phelps is on the team. And yeah, was, I was just yeah, going to bring up David Phelps. David Phelps is also like he could fit in that middle ish or maybe the seventh or eighth because he's got some late inning history, too. Valuable reliever who they, they really have a wealth of riches there. David Phelps could end up being one of the most dominant guys in the bullpen. Like that could happen. David Phelps, too, what you're you're looking for a, a four headed monster back there, right? Because you're almost uh, unceremoniously piggybacking to start the season. Well, and they kind of tip their hand as to what they think about David Phelps as well by the fact that they gave him a guaranteed contract that was going to put him in the big league roster. Now, they when they did that, they didn't know that there was going to be this weirdness with expanded rosters and all this stuff. They thought they were doing that, and they basically gave him... It's kind of a similar situation to uh, how they gave the contract to Matt Albers, and he then got a spot on the team basically by virtue of that he was going to have a locked in spot so they clearly they didn't do that without without really thinking that there was value there you heard it here first folks david phelps is the new matt albers oh, no. <laughs> no. i don't know that was not no, my no. point but the worst thing about matt albers wasn't any of the performance for me it was every time my stepdad sat down to watch him acting like he was the first person to come up with you know who matt albers is right Bad Albert. And I was oh. like, God damn it. This is my life. <laughs> this is why I don't watch sports at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but I mean, I, I do like David Phelps, too. And I think a few months ago when we were kind of starting to dip our toes in the season preview stuff, right? My my thinking was that he was maybe signed as the Knable insurance, you know, as your secondary late inning guy right. while you were waiting for Knable to come back in April and May. Now that you've got all of them, I think, you know, Brad's right. There's like potentially four guys you could throw out at the end of a game and feel decently well about it. So uh, it's definitely a very deep group. And I think we feel a lot better about the bullpen than we did at times last year, too. So and, yeah. and it's really going to be advantageous this year with the shorter schedule. And I think the thing with the bullpen <laughs> last year was that once Jeffress didn't show up and Knable was gone for the year, you knew it was Josh Hader is all you got, and hopefully it's good enough. It, 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 and for the most part, it was, but there were definitely times where that was 
the the weak point where we all were really expecting it to be a strength and unfortunately just couldn't hold up to that because you know you just can't ex when you had Knable, Jeffress and Hater, you could really mix them in for whoever was good that day and if someone started wavering you could go to the next guy and it would be fine but when you were relying on a bunch of meh pitchers who were likely to get you a good inning I mean what it was Hater and then I mean, you were white knuckling Matt Elber's save opportunities in the ninth a couple of times, right? Like, it wasn't <laughs> it was like, fun. Well, the second best pitcher was Junior Guerra. And I don't think right. Junior Guerra was a bad bullpen pitcher by any means, but I yeah. didn't want him to be my second best pitcher. I went through a four month period where I didn't see um, Alex Claudio record an out, um, <laughs> which, which, which I did tweet um, every time I was watching him just to have verification of that. I did eventually see him record an out. So I was, I was hoping to get into this year with that on my, my checklist, but uh, it did happen. But you know, it, I, I know, and by the way, I know statistically he wasn't that bad. He was actually fine. Uh, just hap happened to be one of those things. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, I'm looking forward to not having to watch him as much in dire situations this year. That should be good. Good for my mental health. That was one guarantee where I was like, oh, they won't bring... Alex Claudio back. That was like my one thought in the off season where I was like, this is a time where I'm as smart as David Stearns, right? Like I know what's going to happen yeah. here. Given the rules and, then, and stuff. And then they sign Alex Claudio back. And I was like, am what? I dumb? Do I not understand baseball? <laughs> you can't bring Eric Dames back, but they bring back Alex. Claudio. Anyway, on the topic, I guess of, of the lineup, let's turn to the lineup. They lost a lot of pop at a pair of key positions when it comes to Mike Moustakas and Yasmani Grandal leaving. So it looked like, I guess, David Stern's plan was just build as much depth as possible to kind of make it through 162 game season. And now we're st sitting here at 60 games and there's just a lot of interchangeable pieces uh, with the added benefit of a DH to kind of help maybe pick up some of that offensive slack. So I guess my first question for you guys is, did the Brewers luck out with the DH thing to help replace some of that pop that they lost with Moustakis and Grandal leaving? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. absolutely did. Because especially like if Creston here is dealing with an arm injury where he can't play second base, but he can still swing the bat well, which we saw him do in college, you, you can really like having him and not having to be able to DH one her. IL, one of your best hitters, is incredibly advantageous for this team. I, yes, I'd rather have Ryan Braun there, but I think if Kesson here is injured, we're going to see more Ryan Braun at first base than we anticipated because I think he's the better offensive player than Justin Smoke. And I, you'd rather maximize your offense and have a Kane, Garcia, and Yelich outfield than a Braun. Kane and Yelich outfield and then smoke in the lineup. I don't think we're not going to see that lineup ever. I just think the other one is the better version of it. I, I think they did a shockingly good job of replacing the offensive value compared to what we thought it was. And I even think when you're looking at the loss of players like yes, Mani Grandal, Novar, Omar Narvaez is the most offensively comparable catcher. We've gone through that how many times? His receivings look better. His receiving, it hasn't looked Yasmani Grandal. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, like, when they got Narvaez, I went and watched a bunch of video of him, was like, ooh, that's bad. And this year, his receiving has looked better. It, it, to the point where you're like, that might not kill you like it did for the Mariners. Well, the Brewers love Green. They really, they're, they're catching coordinator Charlie Green, right? Charlie mm -hmm. Green, yeah. 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 
Yeah, like they absolutely love him. And it is worth pointing out, like we have talked about this, but for people that maybe are new, last year, Omar Narvaez OPS plus was 120, meaning he was 20% above the park adjusted league average for for offense. Yasmani Grandal's was 119. So he's 19% above the park adjusted league average. Like Omar Narvaez offensively is not really a downgrade from Yasmani Grandal. The difference is on the defensive side. It is the other stuff. So, yeah, if they can Charlie improve Gr- that part of it, then you could be looking at a real steal. And the thing, I was actually always a little confident in that because when the Brewers got Jacob Nottingham, the constant reviews on him were, that guy can't catch. He, right. He's a great bat. He's going to first base. That guy can't catch. One spring training, and he turned into an okay defensive catcher. Now... Yeah. He's basically a defensive catcher. (laughs) He's your third catcher you hold on your thing who can play good defense and can't hit. He's completely reversed the script. Yeah. And they hope that the the offense will reemerge now that, you know, the the defense, all that work has been done and all of that, that maybe he can focus a little bit more again on offense. And you could see that bat reemerge. And the Jacob Nottingham thing, that dude is not old. What is he, 25? Like, Catchers break out at his age all the time and much older. Like we saw with Manny Pena. Manny Pena didn't really break into the big leagues until he was like 30. You know, yeah. there's a long yeah. history of catchers breaking out late. Yep. And if, he, if, he, if he's a 250, 20 home run catcher, who, and Jacob Nottingham actually has surprisingly decent control of the zone. He still has a bit of a strikeout problem, but I always like to lean towards youth with that. He, he can still be a valuable asset, even if he's just the side of the platoon with Omar Narvaez and, in the future so i i think that's a shockingly better replacement than anyone expected and i think when you're looking at you're getting a full season of keston hero versus whatever reason they sent him down to give travis shaw more at bats <laughs> last year so you're looking at a full season of keston hero if he remains healthy and that's also only 60 games but when you're looking at percentages and a likely offensive upgrade in Orlando Arcia with all the other pieces. So you're either letting Orlando Arcia be his own offensive upgrade <laughs> or just kicking him out and letting the 18 yeah. other players you signed to make sure that shortstop isn't a black hole. You're looking at a pretty good scenario. I mean, even last year, you didn't have a lot of good production at third base until July when you finally just gave it to Moose. They benefit so much from the DH. Just a ton, just with the, some of their player profiles, with having, with being able to put Braun there, save here or there, uh, work in their catchers. But aside from all of that, Council was a master of managing around having to do um, pitcher switches out, um, and they may be hurt a little bit by the fact that not every team will have to do that. But on, the, I made this point earlier. On the yeah, other yeah. hand, though, the thing that Council can do now is not be forced into making moves um, and not be forced into tough situations when he has to sub guys in and out, they can play a pure game of, of matchups um, just based on whatever is out there at any given time without regard to having to play around, you know, pinch hitting for the pitcher. And they're set up so well to do that with their giant bats. who can't play defense with their great defenders who, you know, can't necessarily hit that. Well, they can mix and match so many different ways. And so well, they can, you know, without those bombers, without Braun and Hira, it might not be quite quite as beneficial. But because they have those guys, and because they have so many other guys to work in, this should really play it to their strengths and their managerial strengths. We're working, getting the most out of their pitchers and getting the most out of their hitters and defenders. That uh, the Cardinals are set up so much worse than this. I was just looking at their lineup earlier. The DH like doesn't benefit them at all. They're going to be um, they're going to hurt for it. Um, 
Cubs How much are, do they regret trading Jose Martinez? Now? I think a ton. <laughs> um, they, they did not have a good offseason for this. The Cubs, I do think, play up kind of similar to the Brewers. Um, they do. Along these lines, they have a few guys who are similar in that they're not great defensive players but have really good bats. Their catching situation is kind of similar. But uh, uh, but the Brewers are really set up well for the NL switch. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Craig works this. I was told, though, that the DH eliminated all strategy and matchups, Paul. Are you telling me that's not true? <laughs> it, it, it is not. It, it, I mean, it eliminates a lot of the fun ones, the tricky ones. but uh, The it, weird it gives stuff, you, yeah. It gives you new things to abuse. Well, and <laughs> Council is going to go offense-defense quite a bit. We're going to see yes. that over and over. So, But yeah. I think we're going to get to that in a minute. So, and Yeah, I think, the, like we talked about it before, though, this is the opportunity, just piggybacking on what Paul said, where Stern said, all right, they took away the bullpen side of the game for you, Craig. Go win manager of the year with the offensive side. Yep. Yep. Here you go. Just go to it because you look at these pieces and they're so interchangeable and so value in different ways. It's fascinating the combinations you can think of. Yeah, the Brewers are definitely set up probably better than any other team outside of the Dodgers, maybe the Nationals, to really take advantage of that DH. So it'll be definitely interesting to see what Craig does with that. So we covered a lot of the replacing of Yasmani Grandal's offense with Omar Narvaez. Third base is a little bit different in replacing Mike Moustakis. It looks a little bit more like a rotating cast of characters. So we've kind of talked around about this for the last few weeks too, but you've got a slew of infielders at the Brewer sign, as Brad said. And one of them I, I know is a, is a Paul favorite. Brock Holt is, is now Paul's favorite player, at least better than anybody else that they may have signed this off season. Yeah. By a country mile. Yeah. So a fan. yeah. So that, that um, leads us to our second Patreon question from Jay Google. Uh, so not only is he first Steve, he's first and second. <laughs> Jay's question is, will Brock Holt be the starting third baseman over? He mentions Eric Sogar, but as you guys said, Jed Jerko is on the roster too. There's a few other options. So I guess is Brock Holt, your starting third baseman, Paul, I think I know your answer, but go ahead. So- yeah, with a caveat, which is I, I do think that that will be the closest thing on the team to a pretty strict platoon. And so calling him the, the starter, I think, is a little bit misplaced. Yeah, he's, he's a lefty bat. He'll, he'll face the he'll have the long end of the platoon. I guess if that makes you the starter, that's fine. But they're, they're going to rotate people in and out of that one so much that there's not going to be a true starter there. I like Holt to get the, the majority of it bats at third base, the majority of playing time, but but not as a, not a significant amount. So, yeah. Um, as much as they have a starter at third base, I think it'll be him. I mean, we may see a decent amount of Holt at second base as well, because yep. especially if here is down, yeah, if here is down and, or they're, they're trying to, you know, limit him, put him more at DH, depending on what the situation with Ryan Braun is. Cause he's had some old man issues over the last, uh, few days here. So like he, he's not been playing. So we don't know exactly where he's going to be to start the season either. So yeah, they, they have a lot of different options. They can go so many different ways with this. Eric Sogard can sub in late defensively in situations at a bunch of different positions. You can do just all kinds of different mixing and matching. And I think that we will see, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody like Jerko, just, you know, as an example, like got hot and took a bunch of at-bats for a, a right. solid period of yep. time just because that's the kind of season we're looking at right now. Entirely so. possible. Yeah. I think Eric Sogard is more valuable defensively at third base. 
him he plays a slightly better third base than Brockholt. And with Luis Urias being out and the question of Keston Hero possibly having to DH because of his arm health, that's what gives me pause to say that that Brockholt will assuredly be the starting third baseman because I think they might need both of them to play to start the season based on the current health systems we're dealing with. I think the team is honest when they say that the arm issue with Hira isn't linked to his UCL. I don't think it's not concerning, but I think initial reports that it's not linked to the UCL are earnest, which I don't, I know I, I historically don't buy what they say, but I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to not believe them on that one because I feel like they have been straightforward on DH issues in the past for the most part. Like when Corey Knable went down, they were like, Oh, this is bad. They weren't like, Oh no, he'll be back in three days. They, they said like, uh, this is, some, I feel like with Keston, they're like, it's a serious issue, but we think he can still play and make it through the end of the season. Meaning we're going to DH him for 50 games. I do think the arm of the UCL will have to be addressed with here at some point, but it's, it just doesn't concern me as much as maybe it should. Maybe it's my belief that Keston Hero, the godlike man who he is, is above all injury. <laughs> and it isn't actually an issue for him. But yeah, I think the thing that gives me pause about stating assuredly that Brockholt will be the starting third baseman is that situation it, without Urias there to cover second base, without Keston Hira healthy right now. I think Brockholt is the better play at second base than Sogard is at second base. Or I think there's more defensive value in the other way around. Sure. Uh, another big addition for the lineup this year is Avasio Garcia. So he and Josh Limbaugh were the only guys to get more than one guaranteed year this offseason. So if that tells you what David Stearns thinks, they kind of liked him a lot. And they just kind of waited out the market for him to come down to their price. Uh, so I guess my question is slotting him into the outfield Ryan, what does he provide that maybe the Brewers were missing before? I think more than anything, like he does lengthen the lineup and, and that helps. But more than anything, he turns that outfield because of the machinations that it allows them to do into a real, real strength. They might have a, a awesome outfield defensively at this point because obviously El Garcia is a good, really good right fielder. And that allows Yelich to go back to left where he is plus plus defensively. And with Lorenzo Cain as the mainstay in center field, that really does give them potentially an elite outfield, which will play very well in places like Pittsburgh and St. Louis and Kansas City and some of these big parks that they have around in that we're going to be seeing. So I think that that is the biggest thing. And, you know, also allowing Ryan Braun to, to slide over in DH and not have to play in the field should improve his offense as well. So I think all of those things, it's it's about how it fit with the roster and how it really, they couldn't have picked a better player in a better situation for what ended up happening with the DH than bringing Garcia in and the flexibility that it now gives them. It's really, really a boon for them. It also helps to have another right-handed bat bring a little bit more balance to the lineup because he does mash lefties. For a long time, they've built the team sort of around left-handed hitting. Miller Park is plays up hugely for left-handed bats but other than braun they haven't really had somebody to punish opposing left-handed pitchers and have been a little bit vulnerable there uh so he helps a lot on the platoon side and as ryan said he he is he has a, a monstrous arm he's a very good defensive player in right field and, and should really play up there and give them some additional flexibility in the outfield 
without losing any offense. You know, if they have to swap in Braun for a game or two every now and then, that they don't really lose very much. If they want to go super heavy righty, they can do that. Now you're not relying on Ben Gamble so much as a, a mainstay. Now he is a, you know, defensive replacement, um, pinch hitter, and they really have a great offensive-defensive mix out there that they didn't have last year. So he's, he's a great fit. He fits into the lineup and the roster, like, perfectly. I think that's something we don't cover enough when we're looking at how they built the roster this year is that they struggled because their three best hitters struggled hitting lefties to an extent. I mean, Christian Yelich hit everybody, but Moustakas and Grandal weren't as strong against lefties as they were against righties, and that caused the entire offense to struggle mightily against lefties because all the other hitters sucked. So you <laughs> right. you had Yelich and yep. Ryan Braun really for versing lefties, and if that didn't go well, you were yeah. screwed. And here so, are late. No, um, yeah, here yes. too. Yeah. So not, now you not for most you, of the season. But now you have that balance where it's okay. Well, we're not going to get beat up by split platoon spits or splits this year because we have a platoon friendly team that is going to dominate that that side of it. So you're looking at you know you have Hira, you have Urias, you have. Um, Braun, you have Garcia, and I think that's the big thing. Where now you have another true offensive weapon against right her lefties that they didn't have last season, who also won't hurt you against righties. So you're really filling in a gap that was left by, I guess Mike Mustakis would be who we're talking about replacing in the offensive lineup here, who isn't uh-huh. hurt uh, as badly on the platoon side, and can be uh, just as much of an offensive threat while. You know, Moustakas was an okay third baseman, but uh, Garcia is a better right fielder than uh, Moose was a third baseman. Plus, they're with a fly ball offense that we're seeing across the league, having a good defensive outfield can hold more value. Yeah, I'm really excited about the defensive aspect specifically. I think I talked about this a couple months ago, but as Ryan and, and Paul mentioned, like the the there's a chance that the Brewers have one of the best outfield defenses in the division, if not the NL right now, Uh, which is kind of weird to think about when we've talked about years of Brewers defense kind of being a sticking point. Uh, But with the fly ball revolution, you need guys who can go out and get those fly balls. And it seems like that was a big focus here. So with everything we've been talking about with all these additions to the lineup, we have a Patreon question on the opening day lineup itself. So we kind of talked about how deep the lineup looks now uh jay another question from jay he's asking uh now that we know kyle hendricks is going to be the cubs opening day starter does that kind of change your thoughts on the opening day lineup he's wondering who's going to be in it and do you think uh lorenzo cain stays as a leadoff hitter or do they shuffle things around with maybe ave garcia so paul lineup question go for it <laughs> let's stipulate Kane is not the best prototypical modern day leadoff hitter um he does a lot of old school things. He, he makes a lot of contact. He's very fast. He, he, he often has a high batting average. But you know, ideally, you'd like to see a guy with a super high um, on-base percentage there. And he doesn't always have that. However, I think he's very comfortable hitting there. And the one thing we do know is that lineup structure doesn't actually matter all that much. And so there's not a huge reason to, leave a, to take a guy out of there if he's not comfortable. If he struggles like he did last year offensively, you might see him you know, go back down the lineup. But I, 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 I suspect very strongly they'll leave him there. Uh, Garcia, not, not a good leadoff hitter. Um, not prototypical, not modern day. Um, he, he actually does not have a great on-base percentage most of the time. He is okay against opposite side pitching, but it's not his forte. He, he's there to, to mash and, and play defense and be kind of fast. And um, he's not going to get you on base a lot. He's a, you know, like five, six hitter, five, pro, six, I think, yeah. prototypically. 
So um, I do think you'll see a lot of what you saw last year. As long as Kane isn't being a huge drag on the offense, that's where they'll leave him. That's where he likes hitting. And aside from that, if, if he does struggle, I think you'll see some creativity by council more than you'll see anything else. I could see him playing Hiera up there, um, although he has a lot of the same issues as well. Or just just your platoon high OBP guy for the day in the leadoff spot more than anything, kind of like what you get in the bullpen. So, But it'll be Kane unless something goes horribly wrong. Yeah, I was looking at this, and you know who could be a, a guy here, depending on what the health situation is with all these guys that are potentially out to start the season? We don't know exactly who's going to be in that lineup. But Eric Sogard uh, last year posted a three fifty three on base percentage. Yeah, that's not a bad call. Like he, he would slot in there okay. Yeah. I was actually Omar Narvaez is an awful. Um, yeah, I mean he at least walks. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a three fifty three on base percentage last year. I think he strikes out quite a bit though. Um I can't I need to look that up to remember correctly. I feel like there's uh, also a bias against having your catcher lead off just because he is more likely than other players to be removed from the lineup at some point. But yeah, I don't know. Ah, he only struck out 92 times last year. Yeah. They did it with Grandall <laughs> a couple times last year, though. So yeah, like, they did. Yeah, they're but he's willing... also one of the best walkers in baseball. <laughs> yeah, they're willing to be creative about that stuff. But I think Sogard yep. could be a guy that as a lefty against Hendricks, you know, yeah, you could see that. So. But I do think Paul's right that it's probably going to be Kane, and that's fine. Remember, Lorenzo Kane did have a, a 325 uh, on base percentage last year, which is not what you want out of your leadoff hitter, especially the guy hitting right in front of Christian Yelich. Like, yeah. you do not want a, a 325 on base percentage in front of Christian Yelich. But the year before, it was what, 395? Like, it was considerably higher. Which, so, was that a career high? Yes. It was close if it wasn't. Yeah. It was, yeah. So, we could see, you know, if, if he rebounds some, especially in a short season where the wear and tear body wise doesn't necessarily become as big a factor for him, hopefully. Yeah, it, yeah. it could work out just fine to have him up at the top of the lineup. I legitimately think Kane's offensive struggles were caused by the injuries that are refused to not rest and get healed. And I'm hoping with the long off season that we've ended up having that all those have just completely healed up and we're looking at a much healthier Kane in which case I think he is the offensive player closer to the offensive player we saw in 2018 2018 was a probably a second best year of his career in a lot of ways but I I don't think having that as an expectation is reasonable so I'm hoping a healthier Kane returns more to a form like that and I think Craig Council being the players coach that he is wants to be you know reliable to his guy and you know Kane is a leader of the clubhouse he wants to reward him for that and put him in a position where he obviously likes hitting and being a part of her part of the team so I think he probably starts that way however Craig Council being a player's manager he is also a, a facts guy and if Kane struggles I think you'll see that switch quicker than it happened last year Kane is still obviously the everyday center fielder for the team, and I don't think that's changing because even last year wasn't great, but it wasn't miserable if he's in a position that's less costly to the team. So I think that move happens more quickly, especially with the shortened season. You can't kind of let that play itself out like it did last year. And also the issue with last year is when he was struggling, a lot of other places were struggling in the lineup and right. in some ways a lot worse with Travis Shaw and Orlando Arcia. Mm -hmm. So you were looking at your attention was at bigger issues than where <laughs> Lorenzo Kane was doing. Right. Yeah, but but
all in all, yeah, I see him as the opening day leadoff guy because I just think that's where they want him for the time being. I guess one last uh, parting thought I have on the lineup while we're talking about before we move on to our other predictions for the year is I think, Ryan, you may have tweeted out a week or two ago, like just it's easy to forget just how deep this lineup actually looks when you put it down on paper. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us got caught up in the off season of, Oh my God, they lost Grandal. There's no way they're going to replace him and Moustakis. And we were so worried about losing the, the production of those two guys that it was kind of easy to forget that by the time the off season was over and you actually put these names down on paper, you look at it one through what, six, maybe even seven. You go, that's not that bad. You know, there's, I guess very few weak spots in the lineup now going through it, depending on who's in on any given day. You know, we're not crazy about Justin Smoke or whatever, but like <laughs> if you put Braun at first base and, you know, like it, it, it ended up being a lot deeper than I think uh, we thought it would be, say, four months ago. I had a friend who got a cream Sogard jersey and I was like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Nerd power, you know, that little fandom connection. <laughs> and he's like, now I need a navy one. I think I'm gonna get a Justin Smoke. And I was like, Are you trolling me? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're messing with me right now, correct? Because that cannot be real. But I think the time where I actually became more confident in the offseason was the second they signed Brock Holt. Because once yeah. they signed Brock Holt was the time where I was like, okay, now you have a guy who can slot in anywhere and make up for if these guys don't make out. Before that, it seemed to me like you were betting on a lot of health rebound or things that statistically were unlikely. Like Eric Sogard having the season he had last year, especially the season he had with the Blue Jays last year, is incredibly unlikely. When you're looking at expecting Jed Jerko to return to form, okay, I can get that. His career statistics aren't bad, and he had one bad season because of uh, injury history. But he's also at the age where rebounding from that injury plague season becomes less and less likely. So you right. hope the you know his career returns to the mean versus actually being what it was last year. But that happening, especially for a guy who's bounced around a lot because teams haven't exactly loved him, is not the best thing to bet on so when we are betting on things like that that was when the moment where i was least confident in the team then he signed brock holt who's a consistently been a, a pretty good guy and a good enough guy to slot in and fill enough for anyone who's struggling is he a four war guy no but he's definitely a someone who can make up for someone doing poorly and that's when the second I was like, okay, the offseason makes sense. I'm happy with it. Let's start. <laughs> I mean, they just have so many options at every position. They can go right. in different directions and do a lot of things. They're not going to be stuck with suboptimal situations for very long. And Craig has shown that he is willing to pull the trigger on things faster than a lot of managers will. So, yeah, I think you're going to see just a lot of different lineups and a lot of different looks from them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's entirely possible that all four or five backup plans fail and they're back in the same situation they were last year where none of these guys are any good or looking very great, but at least there were four or five backup plans. You can't fault them for not putting together a backup plan, I guess. So uh, it just be interesting to see how that depth pays off, especially with a shortened 60-game season and uh, so much mixing and matching to do. That kind of wraps up our Brewers-centric preview. If 
a reminder, if you do have something you want us to talk about, we put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. Just reply to that tweet every week with your questions, or you can follow each of us on Twitter individually and send us questions. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. That's James with a Y. And a reminder, there's still time to sign up for our annual Prop Bets contest. We tweeted out that link uh, a couple days ago. We kind of tweeted it out pretty regularly. So if you missed it, just be on the lookout for that. You can also find that link pretty prominently on our Twitter account. Or we'll put this in the episode description, too. So you have until the first pitch on opening day to get those questions or those answers to those questions in. Please do sign up if you haven't yet. It's a lot of fun. You can also go back and listen to the episode to hear our answers on those as well. If you enjoy listening to us, you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron. You heard a lot of those Patreon questions there. You get question priority when you do sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash tailgate, and we will make sure those questions get on the air when we do send out those uh, call for questions. Also, If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find us as well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Stay well, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. go in three two one this is episode 147 of milwaukee's tailgate brewers podcast part of the mke tailgate podcast network it's our big preview that son of a bitch we're to a good start <laughs> and that's the closer and we're done <laughs> and son see. of a bitch son of a bitch all right uh three two one